0: Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online
1: at citychurchseville.com.
2: Happy Palm Sunday. Say hallelujah. There you go. So listen, this is part of our Kingdom of God series, specifically the journey to the cross. And this is Palm Sunday, which is also the Sunday where we celebrate the idea of Jesus's triumphal entry. I wanted to remind us as we were just reminded by the end of the announcement video for those of you worshiping here in the sanctuary or those of you worshiping with us online, The last week in my son Peter's sermon, he stressed the following two scriptures, and they're going to be kind of the entrepreneurial bedrock for this sermon. Mark 10, 43 through 45, there were individuals that came and asked Jesus about being great. And he said, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. In reality, Jesus has now set the tone for his kingdom. And in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of Jesus, greatness in the kingdom looks nothing like greatness in the world. Now, this morning again is Palm Sunday, and we're going to be taking a look at the triumphal entry. But one of the perspectives I want us to have about all great public celebrations is the following. In every public celebration, there is an understood reason by the crowd for the celebration and predictable actions by the person or people being celebrated. By the way, if there are any of you who are golf fans, this will take place this evening. One golfer in the Masters, and many of you are saying, I could care less. But for many of us, or some of us, there will be one individual that will have a green jacket placed upon them as they've won the Masters golf tournament. That jacket can go home with them for one year. Doesn't matter how many Masters they win, from then on, they will only get that one jacket. And the year you win, you can keep it, but then you must leave it permanently there at the clubhouse. Also, part of that celebration is last year's master will end up putting, or the golfer that won the master's tournament will put the green jacket on this year's tournament winner. The reality of it is, is all public celebrations have that understanding of the crowd and the predictable actions by the person being celebrated. Now, I want to talk briefly about the triumphal entry. What is it? Here's a painting of Constantine's triumphal entry into Rome. All-knowing Wikipedia teaches us this about triumphal entry. The Roman triumph was a civil and religious rite of the ancient Rome, held to publicly celebrate and sanctify the success of a military commander who had led Roman forces to victory in the service of the state. On the day of his triumph, the general wore a crown of laurel and an all-purple, golden broiled toga that identified him as near-divine or near-kingly. The general rode in a four-horse chariot through the streets of Rome in an unarmed procession with his army, captives, and spoils of war. In a moment from Luke 19, we're going to read about Jesus' triumphal entry Into Jerusalem. But what you may not know, but a lot of biblical cultural historians teach us, is there's a huge chance that Pilate had had his triumphal entry into Jerusalem earlier that day. Pilate, who is the Roman ordained king of the Jews, is now moving in and he's taking up his position and his authority. There's a reason why he would have come in as a military power and king in his triumphal entry. He would have been on a white stallion. And the reason is pretty simple and logical. Because as we know, Jesus dies on Passover. But Passover is the historical remembrance by all Jews of God delivering the Israelite people from an invading foreign power. In the Older Testament, it's Egypt And God delivers the children of God, the people of God, from this political and military power. And so on Passover, historians tell us that Jerusalem would swell to about a million Jews. And can you imagine Pilate? He's accountable to Rome to keeping every insurrection or revolt beaten to the ground. And so most believe that Pilate had had his triumphal entry earlier that day in the Western Gate. But Jesus enters into the Eastern Gate. Now, with that in mind, let's pick up our reading. Luke 19, 28 to 48. We're going to read more scripture this morning than we normally do, but here is the story of Jesus' triumphal entry as king. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem, and as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Col- Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter, you will find a colt tied there with no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If any, anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. By the way, Matthew tells us why he's utilizing a donkey or a colt. Matthew 21, 4-5 says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Picking up our reading in Luke. Those who were sent ahead went and found it was just as they had been told. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying it? And they replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They were quoting from Psalm 118, 25 through 26, which is a messianic psalm. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, "'If you, even you, had only known on this day "'what would bring you peace, "'but now it is hidden from your eyes. "'The days will come upon you "'when your enemies will build an embarkment against you "'and encircle you and hem you in on every side. "'They will dash you to the ground "'and you and the children within your walls. "'They will not leave one stone on another "'because you did not recognize the time of God's coming.'" And when Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. I want us to remember, in every public celebration, there is an understood reason by the crowd for the celebration and predictable actions by the person or people being celebrated. You see, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, every Jew there that knew the Older Testament knew the following that there would come a day when their king would enter Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. It was prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. You see, the crowd knew what Jesus was saying. When he entered into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey, He was announcing he was Israel's king, and the people believed him, and they began to rejoice and to shout the messianic psalms and proclamations of victory. But you see, Jesus didn't act like any other leader who had ever come in in a triumphal entry. You see, Jesus had unpredicted actions. Jesus did things they could not see were coming. The first is this. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus saw the sorrow of the world. Jesus saw the suffering of the world, and he grieved it deeply. You can rest assured that no Roman general had ever ridden into any city and wept over the suffering, but Jesus does. Jesus, in the midst of his triumph, did what was completely unpredictable. And that is, he emotionally grieved and he wrapped his heart, along with God's heart, around the suffering in the world. And then the next thing that Jesus does is he entered into the temple courts and he began to drive out those who were selling. You see, everyone that was with him was sure of this, that Jesus would enter into Jerusalem and he would go straight for Pilate and he would take Pilate out and that he would confront the military political regime of Rome and that's what he would come and do. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus instead goes into the temple and the text in Matthew and Luke are clear. He goes to a very specific part of the temple and it's where the money changers are changing the money. What you may or may not know is that is called the court of the Gentiles. That's where the foreigners and the non-Jews are welcomed to worship the God of Israel. But the priesthood of that day, those religious leaders had turned it into a money-changing flea market. So there was no room for the foreigner and there was no room for the Gentile to enter in and worship and so the text tells us that Jesus clears out that part of the temple and he does it intentionally to welcome the foreigner and those who believe they are outside of a relationship with God. Jesus makes sure that they are welcomed in. You see, Jesus' triumphal entry is like none other. Jesus reaches out and he takes a hold of the suffering and the sorrow and the pain of the world. And he does not come with military power or might or political positioning. He never has, nor he will ever. Jesus comes humbly and gentle and kind. And the book of Zechariah says he will announce peace for all nations, for anyone, anywhere, at any time. There's a new kingdom that is now invading this world. Now, in all of the sermons that are preached at City Church, we have a mandatory reality, and it's called Feet to Your Faith. In every sermon, anyone who preaches is challenged to give a practical outworking of what does it look like to follow Jesus in his triumphal entry in the kingdom of God. And so I could think of no better way to do this than to invite a couple that's part of the City Church family to come on up here. So, Jordan and Ingrid, everyone say, good morning, Jordan and Ingrid. They're going to come on up here, and I would like for them to share with us about what the kingdom of God has looked like for them. What does it look like to take Jesus seriously and to make the decision to follow him fully in his kingdom in this world? And so, what I would like to have happen first is, so, um, Ingrid, would you tell a little bit about you two as a couple, and um, just give us a quick thumbnail sketch of who you guys are.
1: My name is Ingrid, this is Jordan. Um, I grew up in the Northeast, so living in Charlottesville is now like being in the Deep South. Jordan uh, grew up in Hawaii, so living here is now like living in a foreign country. It's freezing
2: here. Yes, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. okay. basically
1: a foreign country for Jordan. But um, we moved to Charlottesville about two and a half years ago um, to. Um, we wanted to position ourselves closer to one of my family members who had some health concerns. So um, that's what brought us here. But we've we've loved it, so we've stayed um, uh, for about seven years now. Jordan and I have. Um, worked as international disaster response uh, technicians. So we are on call to respond to um, disasters globally, uh, sometimes domestic, but mostly international. Um, so we are, we might get a call and then within a day or within a week be gone for three weeks to three months. Um, so that's taken us to uh, natural disasters, but also man-made situations as well.
2: And so jordan um i know that you just got back from one of those calls where you received a call and the next day you got on a flight so if you could share with your church family a little bit about that most recent deployment
0: yeah definitely um so i just got back from moldova a couple weeks ago that was part of the response of samaritan's purse to the war in ukraine um Yeah, got a call two days after the war started, I think, and then hopped on a plane, was there. And um, we started doing assessments to see what the needs were, how we could meet it. Um, And there were teams in Poland, Romania, and in Ukraine as well. Um, So got there, and uh, on the ground, it's what you read in stories. um, Trauma, people separated families, um, long lines at the border— at first, it was long lines of cars, and then it was long lines of people who had been dropped off as husbands returned to to fight or couldn't leave. Um, so people stuck at the border. Many of them, within Moldova at least, didn't really know where they were going next. They just knew that they needed to leave. Uh, and what we found in Moldova, at least, and I heard from the team in Poland, and you've probably heard stories, it was similar. Was that the local church, um, and also people outside the church, but particularly the church was stepping up and responding. So they had Facebook groups, they were so organized. Um, they were arranging transportation, they were arranging housing. Uh, so every single church I visited, you know, imagine this congregation here, um, the whole downstairs would be housing 50 to 60 people. Um, upstairs here we'd be serving meals playing with kids, that was the norm, not the exception. Um, from churches of 20 people to a few hundred, that's what we saw. So we our work with Samaritan's Purse was supporting churches through food hygiene program. Um, and then also uh, a bit of bedding and mattresses, blankets, things like that. Uh, so yeah, I, I saw what you're hearing in the stories, which is a lot of tragedy and trauma but also maybe what you're not hearing which is that god is not overcome by evil Um, god is responding god has church the church in each of these countries and also in ukraine and also in russia um, being an alternative witness
2: So with that in mind, Ingrid, um, could you share a little bit about how you guys came to do what you're doing, what you sense your call is into the kingdom of God, and sort of how have you walked that out practically in your own lives?
1: Sure. So um, when I talk about this, I like to um, just remind everybody in the church that um, God's call to live out the kingdom is for everybody, and the ways that ours looks is a little bit extreme, but that's just the call for us at this point, and and all of us have the opportunity to live um, live in the kingdom of God, live something different. So for us, we um, have been called into the humanitarian sector, into responding to disasters and, and tragedies globally, um, which um, we've had to order our lives differently in order to do that. So um, we have to hold our schedule very loosely. Uh, We don't know where we'll be in a day or in a week. Um, And we have had to um, set up our our careers as well. It is a career, but to um, alternative income methods, I suppose, to make sure that we have the um, resources to keep responding in this way that God has called us to. Um, And so part of that has been... um, uh, opening up our own businesses. Jordan runs uh, his own business um, that he can work on when we're home or, or set it down if he needs to when we're deployed. Um, but for each of us, we all have ways that we can uh, invite uh, invite the suffering and invite the brokenness of the world into our, our rhythms of our days, whatever, um, whatever ways that you have been called into.
2: So, Jordan, I know that when I first met you guys, you had the full-time job with health benefits, and then you've switched, and now Ingrid, you have that. And Jordan, do you want to share what the business is that you're doing now? What are you, what are you doing now, and why are you doing that?
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's funny, Pete picked that up from the first service that health benefits. Many of you, I see, there's lots of college kids. You'll be covered till you're, you know, on your parents till you get to 26, and then you have to figure your life out. Um, <laughs> and the U.S. doesn't make that easy in many ways, but. Um, so, yeah, we've kind of had a trade-off where each of us manages that side of things, and now I've left UVA and started a rug business. Um, so, I want you to, m- you to hear it's a rug, rug
2: business, not a no drug D, business. No D. Yeah,
0: yeah. No D in there. Yeah. Very clear. Yeah. So, e- e-commerce, selling vintage and antique handmade rugs. So, Yeah. yeah. So in
2: this, one of the things I know that we talked about was some people sitting or are here are going, oh, I've heard of this kind of person before. They are missionaries. And I want to be clear, they don't view themselves as missionaries. Missionaries are people that move overseas and permanently live overseas. They feel that in the kingdom of God, Jesus has called them to hold their careers in tension with what God's calling them to do to see the kingdom of God stepping into this world. And so, in line with that, Jordan, I know that you had a bit of a challenge at the beginning of your career. So, tell a little bit. You graduate from college. You have a lucrative opportunity. Share a little bit about that personal spiritual journey.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, in college, studied economics, but also theology. So, had the dream opportunity as an econ major, um, which was working in Manhattan, um, you know, investment banking, and everything in the world, I think many of us experience this, whether you're 20 or 60, 70, 80. I think the world is always trying to shape us and tell us what to do, what's the right decision. Often it's money, security, uh, prestige. And I felt those pressures, mm-hmm. but somehow God's voice got through through community, through prayer, and felt like turning down an opportunity there and choosing a life of unknowns was was what God called us to. Um, I think those decisions are not always black and white, but God in his grace, closes doors, opens doors, um, he, he answers when we seek him, I think. So
2: So, kind of in our last little talk about feet to our faith. So Ingrid, if you could share with the church family what it is that you're doing now. What is the job you have with Samaritan's Purse? Because the encouragement is, is that we as a church family are going to partner with them. And so if you would share about your most recent appointment and what it is that you're doing.
1: Yeah, so um, Jordan and I for the last, I don't know, six to eight months have kind of been feeling like it was time for that flip. As we've been talking about, I was feeling ready for something a little bit um more full-time to to be investing my time in, Um, and and Jordan was feeling like it was time to leave UVA. Um, So we didn't know what that was, we just were leaving our hands open to whatever God had for us. Um, My my latest two deployments were in response to um, the evacuation of Afghanistan. So as we all remember, um, in August of last year, uh, we all saw the images of um, Afghans and planes coming out of Kabul in desperation. Um, so now we're six, seven months beyond that. Um, but there are still hundreds of there, there are still thousands of Afghans in limbo, um, and also Afghans still stuck in Afghanistan. But, um, anyways, my, my latest two deployments with our with our response work has was um, at military bases um, working with Afghans who were waiting. Um, the the um, situation was so overwhelming to um, resettlement agencies that the United States government opened up some new pathways for small um, sponsor groups, churches included, um, to basically become caseworkers for resettlement. Um, so because of that, we were able to develop a new program, which is now where I find myself full-time Um where uh, our organization vets and trains churches on what resettlement looks like and um, on Afghan culture um, and how to do that well. Um, And then my role is to advise churches on that resettlement process once they've been matched with a family. So um, the... The process has kind of been flipped on its head. It's typically one caseworker with a resettlement agency with, let's say, 15 families. As you can imagine, that they're stretched incredibly thin right now, um, and so now it's um, we're able to. Um, raise up teams within the American church that are trained and vetted um, to work with one family um, to welcome them into their communities and um, lives. Um, It's an amazing opportunity that I'm really excited about for the American church um, and has been uh, really incredible.
2: So one of the things that we know is you said there was about 120,000 Afghan refugees. Almost all of them were participating with U.S. forces and because of that, they had to be evacuated out of Afghanistan. That's why they're moving around the globe. And so, how many of those families are, are you guesstimating are coming into the U.S., or they may be still on military bases overseas being vetted, but then they'll be brought to the U.S.? So, how many families or individuals are we talking about?
1: Yeah, as Pete mentioned, it's a, it's, somewhere around 120,000 right now that are in the states or in the process of being brought to the states. And these were all people that um, the U.S. government evacuated um, because they knew that it was dangerous for them to stay in Afghanistan. That being said, there are still a lot who are still stuck there. But, um, yeah, it will be um, about 120,000 in total who individuals who um, end up resettled in the states.
2: And I was listening to um, Ingrid and Jordan talk to our, our lead pastoral team about a week and a half ago, and we have felt called along, Ingrid, with how you're called to serve, to partner with you guys in seeing God's kingdom it be expanded and extended to those who are outside of faith in Jesus, who are outside of the kingdom of God, and we want to be part of God's heart and God's love, wrapping himself around these refugees, and we as a church would like to participate with them in seeing one of those families become a family that we would adopt, that we would love on and show and share in practical ways the love of Christ with them. And so what we're going to do as a follow-up to this is that on the 24th of this month, April 24th, we are going to have a luncheon under the smaller tent. We now have two tents here at City. The smaller one is over my right shoulder. It's on the back right corner, or left corner of the property. We're going to be having an information luncheon for anyone where the Spirit is tugging your heart to be a part of this. Ingrid is well-trained. She's going to be available to help us to do this well. But we believe that God has called us to participate in this. Does this make sense to us? Does this make sense to us? Yes. Yes. And so we're excited about the call of God. But the other thing that I know was deeply moving for me is different people walk out the kingdom of God in different ways. Jordan and Ingrid have very practically aligned their lives so that they can live into the kingdom the way that you guys are called to. So Jordan, is there any last thing that you would like to share before we conclude our time in
0: prayer? Sure. Um, One thing we had talked about previously was um, potential for support for churches responding to the crisis in Ukraine. So we're in conversation about that. I know many people have given um, I think 10,000 went to Samaritan's Purse. Thank you. I see on the ground the impact of that Um, funds are needed. I think it's hard to be here where we are, but I think just a general encouragement to all of us. Sometimes it's easy to be the ones who are living out the extreme, but when you're in your day-to-day life, what does the kingdom of God look like? Um, And I think in many ways, it's opening space uh, for interruptions, opening space for the kingdom of God to make your life look different, um, to make those around you uncomfortable because you choose things in a different way. Um, You know, you college kids choose your next steps in a different way than those around you. Those who are retiring might spend their time reaching out instead of retreating. Um, and for each of us in between, uh, I think there's space that we can make for Jesus' call to come follow me, to drop everything, to give everything. Um, that doesn't need to look like what we do, but I think in many ways it's that upside-down kingdom that's, that's available to all of us. Um, that's it. I mean, another thing will be in the back. Happy to talk to any of you anytime today or... in in subsequent weeks.
2: So one of the things that Jordan and Ingrid brought to our attention when they were vetting what the needs of the church was in Moldova and Poland and, and especially Moldova because you were there and in Ukraine is that churches are now becoming refugee centers and it's very expensive to keep their buildings heated all the time before they would just heat them for worship and then they would close them down. Well, now they're open as cafeterias and, and dormitories. So one of the requests was was that our church would be able to partner with several churches there, helping them to pay the increased power bill. Sounds like a little thing, doesn't it? But I think our church could partner, and so Jordan's actively vetting that to make sure that the monies get to the right place. So if God tugs on your heart about that as well, to give financially, we're going to make sure that we partner with the church. The other thing I wanna say is if you think this crisis will be over in a month, that's false. This crisis is going to extend it and is going to have a long shelf life. So as a church, we want to participate what the kingdom of God is doing and looking like in that area of the world. Would you pray with me? Well, Jesus, thank you for always calling us by your spirit and empowering us to put feet to our faith. God, I lift all of us up before your throne of grace from the youngest to the oldest. Jesus, help us to be women and men in your kingdom that are women and men who walk before you and with you in a way that expresses the kingdom. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives, in the lives of those who say that we follow you as it is in heaven. God, empower us by your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would deeply convict us of our life choices and how we choose to live out our lives in this earth. Lord Jesus, thank you for the triumphal entry. Thank you that you reached out to those who were suffering and you wept. And then you made space for those who are outside of your kingdom and welcomed in the foreigner.